Hey folks, thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. It's me, Dave Wakeman. This is my podcast. My guest today is Richard Howell from the Ticket Factory, and we are here to talk about the recovery from the pandemic in the UK. So we cover a lot of stuff. But before I tell you a little about Richard, I want to point you to a couple things I'm working on. First off, I have been dedicating as much of my time as I can to an effort called I Voted Concerts. You can find them at ivotedconcerts.com. Or you can follow the hashtag on Twitter of hashtag I voted concerts. It is a nonpartisan effort to get people to vote in the election coming up on November 3rd in the United States. Um, the gist of it is that the United States has the lowest voter turnout of any industrialized nation in the world. And we want to change that. So make sure you vi- check out, see if you registered to vote. Um, if you voted by mail, take a picture with your unfilled out ballot. Or take a picture of you in your polling place, and we can invite you to a concert with, uh, last I looked, like 75 or more artists from all different genres, all different places. Um, if you can help, that would be great also. Just send me an email, daviddavewakeman.com, and I'll see if I can hook you up with the people there so we can get you involved. But check it out. It's ivotedconcerts.com. Next, I want to point you to my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Um, they are really, really some of my favorite people in the entire world, and they're continuing to put together stuff to help us keep motivated and keep us uh, excited, uh, keep us in a positive frame of mind during the recovery from the pandemic. Um, I'm speaking specifically about Kieran's work on the Booking Protect Instagram account. He's posted some really great pictures of concerts around the world, sports around the world, quotes from famous artists and famous people that are involved. Um, it's really great, but you should also check out the Booking Protect website. There's a blog there. Um, you can still download the What Matters in Tickets Now ebook that we put together. Cat uh, Spencer just wrote a great piece on rebuilding relationships and rebuilding trust after the pandemic. So check that out at bookingprotect.com forward slash home. It'll get you where you need to go. Also, I want to point you to my friends at the We Will Recover Project. That's www.wewillrecover.live. It is a project put together by my friends at ActivityStream to help everybody, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what part of the live entertainment business you are in, recover. Uh, we will recover live is a home for articles, webinars, master classes, all kinds of great stuff for you and your organization to recover as quickly as possible. Um, they brought in about 20 or 25 different organizations from around the globe, like me, uh, Andrew and Carol with the Ticketing Professionals Conference in the UK, uh, Joe and Angela at the Ticketing Professionals Conference in Australia, um, Booking Protect has had some stuff up there, uh, State, the team from State 22, uh, QQ, NTIX, a lot of people are involved. I forget to name all of them, uh, so those people forgive me. Uh, they probably send me an email, let me know that I forget them all the time. I'm sorry. Uh, Made Media, TRG, uh, the list goes on. It's a great effort. We will recover live. Check it out. Find something that you can use to put yourself um, back in a better position to be successful once we start to open back up from the pandemic. Do that. And then finally, check out my Talking Tickets newsletter. It comes out each Friday into your, into your little new newsletter inbox. And I talk about five stories from around the world. Um, this I'm recording this on Thursday night. Tomorrow we're going to talk about um, making organizations stable, uh, the AFL, and organizations that are struggling to overcome the pandemic. Um, we're going to talk about 
college sports. We talk about a whole bunch of stuff. There's analysis, action items, and ways for you to take advantage of these things in your organization. So check that out. You can get it for free at talkingtickets.substack.com. That's talkingtickets.substack.com. Now back to Richard. Now I've called Richard many times the smartest man to come on the podcast, and that's just because I like to play with Richard, but he's a, and he's also super smart. He's probably the best person I know when it comes to pricing. But mainly I like to say it just because I like to mess around with him. But we, I wanted, we, we hadn't had a chance to really talk since the pandemic got started or got kind of settled into the pandemic a little bit. So we decided we would just have a conversation. We'd have a chat, and then we were, decided we'd record a podcast. So that's what we did. And we, we talked about a bunch of stuff. So we talked about the disaster recovery plan that the um, Richard and his team had in place and how they were able to put it together starting in January and February um, so that they could get a head start on dealing with the pandemic. We talked about mental health and how Richard led his team during the pandemic. We talked about ways to recover, uh, what work from home looked like, you know, how they were able to keep the team solid and together during the work from home environment. We talked about revenue. We talked about whether or not the pe- people in demand are going to come back right away. We talked about the role of government in helping drive demand. We talked about, um, you know, keeping in touch with your customers, being there for your customers, engaging your customers, having conversations, uh, even when you can't get them to buy. That way you are a part of their, you know, their their life, I guess, is the, the best way to put it during this time. You know, so this is a great conversation. This is, um, it's always fun to talk to Richard. Um, so I hope that you dig this conversation with me and Richard Howell on the Business of Fun podcast. All right, I want to welcome back my friend, the smartest man ever on the podcast, Richard Howell, to the Business of Fun. What's up, Richard? Hey, Dave. How's it going? Oh, you know, I live in America during the pandemic. Um, I will let you choose your own adventure there. Uh, I am completely fine. Uh, I'm cracking jokes today, so I think that means I'm doing pretty well. I think cracking jokes is all we can do at the moment. Hey, uh, you know... It's a grim time. It's what You got two choices. You can either... um, you can be steely and kind of like do the best with it, or you can just sort of let it overwhelm you. And I try to choose to be, um, I, th- I say I take my marching orders from the queen. So she told me to have a stiff upper lip, so I do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think that's the, that's the overriding thing of the whole pandemic is it, you know, it has been an emotional roller coaster, you know, and, and sometimes, some days you do feel on top of it and you're up for it, and other days you do feel as if, you know, what's the point of it all? And, you know, I think, um, you know the mental health aspect of this whole pandemic i think is really interesting and you know certainly talking to my staff you know there've been real ups and downs you know that you know that they've all felt you know it's the it's the isolation it's the not knowing it's the uncertainty that is is as bad as anything yeah. uh, i think and you know you kind of think what are we working for you know what are we, what are we what are we trying to achieve you yeah. know this podcast is called the business of fun and Certainly, over the last five minutes, uh, five years, this this business has not been fun. No, and it, this is definitely not a fun time, and um, it's been really tough for people. And I, I, I say that the mental health challenge that people are dealing with has probably not been given nearly enough um, attention, because I think you know it's there's the public health aspect, there's the financial crisis, but I think the mental health is just something that people. Uh, don't always pay enough attention to it and it is it's like ups and downs um the uncertainty is a killer 
uh, you know, I, I've re- referenced it a lot, which is the Stockdale paradox, which I was telling you about just before we got on, you know, where you know this is going to suck, you know that you're going to get through it, you know it'll end, but you don't know when, and you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep pushing forward. That's sort of been my, the, the best I've been able to do is just put one foot in front of the or other and just keep going. And, uh, yeah, uh, and I think, you know, as we do come out of it, and hopefully that sooner or later, that one of the biggest challenges is is going to be getting ourselves out of this kind of lockdown funk that we find ourselves in. You know, I, I was talking to someone who was kind of a bit uh, apprehensive is probably the best word about, you know, you know, as lockdown eased a bit here, going out and meeting friends because yep. they, they'd become kind of so used to being at home in their own company and the prospect of going out into the big bike big bad wide world again was was a frightening one for them and i I could really relate to that and you know our our lockdown has eased a bit here and i've kind of forced myself to get out and do things uh and to go to the pub and you know and and to do things like that because otherwise you you just get stuck in your in your kind of in your home doing what you do and it and and that isolation so you need to break out of that isolation oh absolutely now what is it like to I marked down we were going to talk about the pubs later, but you brought it up early, so we'll talk about the pubs now. You know, what is it like to go to a pub in a pandemic? Because I have actually had the chance to go out for two beers in five months now, and one of them, one of them was outdoors at this um, brewery that's, like, extremely social distanced, and the other one was at a brewery that's in a big barn. And so then, again, completely social distanced. But what's it like to go to a pub in London well, Which is definitely I mean, not social distance. I, I, I suppose the, the 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 first thing is they're not busy, so social distancing is easy. Uh, the second thing is that some are doing it better than others. So I actually last night I went to two different pubs. Uh, we went out and I rub my nose in it. Rub my nose in it. I said rub my nose in it. So yeah, last night uh, we uh, I went out and we uh, I was meet up, meeting up with friends, some friends and before we went my friend said you need to download this app you won't be able to get a drink without it and we booked a table outside in the garden and we went outside and you know downloaded the app and the hassle of trying to order a drink and get the damn credit card to work on the app but once we got all that sorted. Uh, um, uh, oh, oh, and uh, over here we've got the the government have got this scheme running through August, which is called Eat Out to Help Out. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, which is running Monday to Wednesdays in all sorts of establishments, where basically the government will pay half price on your food up to the value of ten pounds. And so we had a code that we had to put into the app for this. Uh, uh, and then yeah, just but being in a pub is really weird, and it's that thing that you can't do the usual shake hands or hug or kiss people as you arrive. It's elbows out. Right. And all that kind of thing. But, you know, once you're out, you're, you're drinking and it's fine. And that was really well organized, that pub. And there was a one-way system, one way you can go into the building mm-hmm. and out of it. And the toilets were all sorted out. And then uh, and then we uh, went on for the thing that we were meeting up for, which was we were doing a, a tour of a local cemetery. So okay. the West North Cemetery is, a, uh, is a, a big cemetery in South London. And uh, this was an event being run by the South London Theatre, which is actually an amateur theatre group. And it was a walking tour of the cemetery, but kind of uh, at certain points on the tour, there'd be actors coming out, uh, kind of telling the stories of the people who were buried there. And it's really, really interesting, or performing bits 
of plays to do with graveyards and cemeteries uh, or doing poems or singing. It was a really, really magical evening. It's, it's glorious weather here. It was a beautiful way to walk through the dusk. And then afterwards, we went to a different pub uh, and the whole kind of social distancing thing there wasn't quite as good. Uh, but it was air conditioned and it was cold and it was lovely. Uh, and uh, having, having a cold, cold pint of beer was like nectar. It was beautiful. Well, you, you know, me, you know me, right? It's always like nectar. <laughs> There's, you know, that's like one of the things that I miss most about this whole thing is like not being able to go to the pub and, you know, see all my friends and have a, a pint of beer or a drink and just like kind of laugh in person. Um, I do the best I can, but right now I'm drinking coffee. It's just not the same. It's completely not the same. So, yeah, so some places are doing it really well and looking after their customers and making you feel safe. Uh, and others are really kind of only paying lip service. But I, I guess kind of customers will vote with their feet and uh, they'll, they'll go where they, where they feel safe. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, going back to that subject of getting people out, you know, it is all quiet. You know, the pubs aren't, and the restaurants aren't busy. Uh, and there's been a big move to try and get them open and get the economy working, which is why the government introduced this uh, Eat Out to Help Out scheme. But, you know... I'm, and that's doing well. So Monday to Wednesdays when that's running is doing well. But I think, you know, on, on other days, it, it is difficult and it is struggle to get, get people out and people are, are wary of that. And, you know, that's something that we really need to consider in the live entertainment business. Uh, you know, it, it's one thing creating safe environments for people. It's one thing putting all the measures in place, the temperature checking, the, the track and trace stuff, the social distancing. But actually people have got to feel confident about getting out there and coming to events again and I, I think that is going to be a long journey back you know getting people comfortable with going to events and, and actually getting on public transport to get to those events is going to be a, a difficult thing you know you go on you've been to London a few times and you know you know how busy the the tube is yeah. uh, uh, but the tube is empty now the people just aren't traveling the traffic is busy there's a lot more cars on the road but people aren't traveling by public transport so you know it's all very well you know running pilot events and getting things set up and uh preparing for safe openings but actually getting people to leave their couch leave their netflix behind and and take the risk to come out is is going to be a long haul i think yeah, it's one of those things that's interesting because I talk, have talked to a lot of teams, uh, sports teams here in the States about this because there's sort of been this theory floating around and that I never bought into, but now people are starting to get um, information back from their customers that, oh, as soon as we can do things again, everybody's going to go nuts and they're going to be back. We're, oh, everybody's going to be able to throw open the doors. It's going to be great. Everything's going to go back to normal. And I was like, oh, I don't think, I don't think so. And that's been, True, and I don't think people are are really paying attention enough to this mass transit, right? Like, do I feel safe on on the tube? Uh, do I feel safe around crowds? Do I, you know? Then there's the financial impact, which we're feeling much more heavily probably than you are in the UK. Um, there's just so many different factors that you have to really almost, I think, from my point of view, redesign the way that you're marketing and selling the event and the experience to people, because there's going to be a lot of new barriers to people's committing to coming out that weren't there before. Yeah, and I think the longer it goes on, the harder it gets. 
Uh, I, I don't know if you saw, there's a, a, a marketing company over here called Indigo who did big audience research over here in the UK called After the Interval. Uh, and they ran it twice uh, and you know, went out to 150, 200,000 people, I think. Uh, and uh, one of the questions they asked is, you know, when do you think you'll be comfortable coming back to live events? And it was, you know, I think on the first survey, it was people were kind of saying three to four months away. Mm-hmm. On the second time they did it, it was four to five months away. So, you know, I think there are lots of institutions and organizations that think, well, as soon as we're allowed to operate, people will come flooding back. And it, it's not what the audiences are saying uh, at the moment. Obviously, there are going to be exceptions. There are going to be, and, and actually, probably sports clubs may be the first to come back. Uh, but I certainly think for arts and entertainment, it's 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 a long haul back. Yeah. It's a really long haul back. Well, I think you too too though that I question how quickly the people will come back um, for sports, even especially maybe not in the states because we have a tendency to be um, heavy bu- heavily buying into the risk um, and also not willing to learn from other nations. It seems to be hmm. our uh, what we're known for right now. Uh, but you know, like so when that a couple of those Champions League matches in Italy being sort of ground zero for a lot of the outbreak in Italy early in the pandemic, I'm not even sure if the team, like the sports are going to come back as fast as people want them to or even need them to in a lot of cases because, you know, me, I'm a Spurs fan and they need that, like, that stadium filled because uh, we got to get some players for Jose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Spurs definitely need it. Yeah. But let me ask you too, though, because we kind of, we talked about the mental health, we talked about this, the pub thing. But what I've been really curious to learn from people who are, uh, you know, leading like diverse groups of people um, who have had like really dealing with complex situations and things that really there's no strong guidance for, and there's no historical con like not relevant historical context to put around. Um, you have a pretty substantial team, um, and you've had to lead them through a really challenging period. Uh, you know, if this is like about as generic of a question as I ever ask, because I usually never ask anybody the same question twice. But I have been really curious about asking people about, you know, what their leadership philosophy has been during the pandemic, you know, like starting out at the start of the pandemic when things were just really, really uncertain and scary for folks, you know, and, and how that's evolved. Um, if, you know, to give you a context for the answer too, is like, I talked to Mark Foley or Fowley from audience view a couple of days ago. And we were talking about how, as the pandemic has progressed, they've been fortunate enough to be able to have the financial resources to turn their attention to some long-term projects and using those long-term projects and like the, the the feeling of forward motion built around stuff they control as a way to keep people's mindset, um, you know, focused on positive things as opposed to negative things. So I know that's a lot, but you know, you're, you're the smartest man to ever be on the podcast. So I'm going to trust that you can answer the question. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, we've talked before about this is a people business and, you know, for me, there are three sets of people who are important. There's our ticket buying customers. There are our clients and then there are our staff. And, uh, I suppose the philosophy for me has been making sure that we're looking after people. Uh, I, I, you know, back when the pandemic started, and actually our chief executive uh, of the of the whole group, I, you know, I give him a lot of credit. He he spotted this as going to be an issue early. Right back in January, he was saying we need to start preparing for this. And I remember as a you know as the as the executive of the NEC group, 
we started meeting on a daily basis in mid-February. So we were kind of well ahead of it. And, and uh, uh, you know, like all businesses, you have disaster recovery plans. And, and for us, uh, it, it actually kind of the start of the, uh, the pandemic and the lockdown went quite smoothly because we just enacted our, uh, our disaster recovery plan. Uh, and we were well prepared for home working. Uh, and uh, we, we, first of all, we kind of split our teams into two because we kind of thought we'd have some people working from home, some people uh, working in the office, and we didn't want to have the cross-contamination if there was an outbreak. But then it became clear that everyone was going to have to work from home. It, it was a fairly easy transition for us because we were using the tools already in our business in the way that we operated our business. And, and luckily, a lot of our stuff is cloud-based. All of our contact center is cloud-based. And, you know, one of the things that I've been most proud of throughout this whole uh, pandemic is that we've managed to keep our phones open. Even though I've got the contact center working from home, they've still been answering the phones. And I think in the UK, we're the only ticketing company that's been able to do that. And that has, you know, I talked about one of the other groups of people to look after as our customers. And, and that has been so crucial in uh, looking after our customers is being able to talk to people. You know, uh, I know myself from dealing with other companies uh, during the pandemic, not just ticketing companies, but airlines and all sorts, you know, that whole thing that you can only email people and you don't get a response. And, you know, and it just builds up the anxiety of what's happening with my booking or what's happening with my uh, plane ticket, et cetera, et cetera. So actually having our still being able to talk to our customers was really, really important and, and has been a big part of how I, what we, well, I think that we've done well during the pandemic. Yeah, I would say that putting so much emphasis on talking to customers during the pandemic is likely to accelerate their willingness to come back to you afterwards because it's a big issue in the states right where um i think ticketmaster's been involved in this stubhub's been involved in this uh, i think almost everybody has been where they've changed the terms of service they've changed the um refund policies they've kind of changed a lot of these policies um quickly and you know and I'm, if i gave the wrong names for companies um forgive me but it's been a kind of a constant story in the states or if i didn't name everybody forgive me for that too but i think that when we're having this conversation about what it's going to take like hey you know how do you lead through this thing right which is very important and you know the you got to real i think you say it pretty well or recognize it somewhere between the lines is that you're not going to please everybody no matter yeah. what you do. Um, but then the thing is, is like not talking to people and not being open in your communication. It's sure it's an option, but it's not a very good one because you're breaking trust that has probably taken you years, maybe decades to build up. And once that trust is gone, it's uncertain whether or not you really ever get it back. Absolutely. That trust is really, really important. You know, we've had a we've always had a policy of refunding booking fees and uh you know most of the time it doesn't really matter you know you can do it, it doesn't really cost you anything and uh of course it's really cost us uh during the <laughs> pandemic uh you know to a significant amount but i'm i'm proud that we've still done it because you know it is about that trust it is about that uh, customer satisfaction and uh, and as you said it, it takes years to build up and it's a uh, you know, in the UK in particular, the ticketing market is very competitive. And uh, I certainly know that the way that we have handled our customers, both being able to talk to them and being prompt and quick and giving full refunds, including booking fees, 
has to do some really good stead. <coughs> I beg your pardon. Has to do some really good stead. Uh, you know, I don't want to do any of my competitors down. You know, everyone has their own challenges and their own business uh, needs. But, you know, if I look on social media, what our customers are saying and what other people's customers are saying, I, you know, I think it's something that we have done right, but it hasn't been without cost. And, you know, that is a real balance that we have had to make within the business and a decision we had to make within the business, you know, about, you know, sticking to our guns and sticking to doing what we believe was right. You know, and I think there was, you know, there's a, a strong moral core to to the whole of the NEC group about, you know, actually let, we want to do what's right. And that's the most important thing. And we want to do what's right by our customers. And the reason why that's important in the, I talked about earlier about people having the confidence to get out of their house and, and go to live events. Well, actually we need to have people to have confidence in buying tickets. That's the first thing, you know, we want to make sure that in, in this uncertain world, when people don't know what's going to happen, we need them to be confident that actually they can trust us with their money, that if something does go wrong, they will be able to get it back and they won't have a fight and they won't have, they will be able to talk to us about it and be able to, to, uh, you know, to get their money back if needs be. And uh, for us, it's just about the whole customer service ethos that runs throughout the whole company, not just the ticket factory part of the company, but the whole company is that, you know, we want to do right by our customers because ultimately, when we are able to put events back on again, we need those customers to come back to us. Yeah, I um, maybe I've t- shared this on the podcast since I've kind of been back normally producing them or not, but I, I had a very maybe a week or two, no more than fourteen days into the pandemic, had a conversation with a client, and they were like, "Hey, look how how do you think? What are your thoughts on how we're approach how we should approach?" dealing with our customers now and it was like less of a question because they had already come up with their strategy and they were just i think wanted to see where my head was and what they what they ended up saying was like we we have a lot of partners and we have been in business here for over 100 years um and we don't want to be the reason that a business goes out of um you know they can't make their payroll can't meet their obligations can't do something because we held them to a deal in a time that was like really, really brutal. Yep. And, yep. and I was like, well, that would be the way I would do it. But everybody has, you know, sometimes I understand there's situations that don't enable that or, or you won't allow you to, but that would be the way I would do it. And they have been, um, you know, the, the feedback from their customers has been entirely positive. Whereas um, I know a lot of people around me and a lot of the corporate buyers that I talk to regularly they're very frustrated with a lot of the sports teams here in the states because um at five or six months into the pandemic they haven't still not talked to somebody on the phone Mm -hmm. um they've had their um really not been given much any option or any reasonable options as far as refunds go or they've just had their money rolled over automatically um you know and i think that that's going to have a lasting impact on on people and so even if it hurts, like refunding the fees right now in the short term, if you have the disaster recovery plan in place, you have a, a customer-focused um, business style, it's going to pay off because, like you said, you know, you're competing with tons and tons of different people to sell the tickets you have. It's very competitive, and even if you're not in a competitive ticketing environment, there are so many options that were already available to, to people to hang out enjoy themselves at that if you don't recognize that you're in a competitive environment 
removing the ticket, I think you're really have, you're going to have been, become screwed up, you know, in your priorities and your ability to get people to come back. Yeah, and you know, you you mentioned something there that, that that was really really important, which is you know the other people thing that I mentioned, which is clients, and uh, you know we have to recognize that you know as well as looking after our own people and. Uh, and our customers, our ticket buying customers, looking after our clients is really important. We need them for when our business comes back, when business comes back. And, and you're right, you know, you do have deals with people. And if you were to stick to the letter of those agreements, well, yeah, you'd be in the right and you'd be legally entitled to do that. And that would sort you out financially and look after you. But actually, what does it do to your clients and what does it say to your clients and what does it say to your future relationship with your clients? And so, you know, uh, talking to our clients has been really, really important. And sometimes it's been challenging, uh, but, you know, everyone's fighting for their business and, uh, and, you know, you have to find a way around. And, uh, you know, some of our clients have been absolutely fantastic. Some of them have been uh, more difficult, but not unnecessarily difficult you've always understood where they've where they're coming from but we, we've kind of found a way around it all and we we've got to a position where hopefully we've been able to satisfy the needs of of ticket buying customers our business and their business and uh you know um, and that's the whole thing and communication's been a big big part of of uh how you get through this pandemic you know and you know, the other people element is, is the staff and, you know, communicating with the staff has, has been really important. Everyone working remotely, uh, and having the forums where people can communicate with each other have been really, really important. Um, uh, and, uh, over here, I, I know lots of places we've had the furlough scheme where the government has, uh, has given us a grant to, to allow us to kind of lay people off, but they've still been, uh, receiving a wage and, and, and making sure that those people are still kept informed and in contact with what's going on in the business has been really important as well. Yeah. So, so uh, let me ask you this then, because I, I know in my very, very jumbled way of asking the initial question, I, I added this in here and, you know, now we're what? So if we say March and you were about a week behind us in shutting things down, um, we're still approximately five months into this thing. How do you keep people's spirits you know up how do you keep them focused on positive things right now you know especially knowing like some people have been furloughed people are you know not as connected to their teams you know are there lessons like is how like you manage the communication process to make it seem so you know that people do have a little more sense of camaraderie or teamwork involved you know how how, how do you do it well uh I mean, I'm really lucky. My team are fantastic. They're a very motivated, dedicated group of people who believe passionately in the company and what we do and, and in all those things that we talked about, looking after our clients and looking after our customers. And we have been really busy. And actually, uh, you know, the, there's a great work ethic and actually getting through all that work. You know, a lot of people outside of ticketing say, well, you can't be very busy. You're not selling tickets. Well, actually, <laughs> you have thousands of, hundreds of thousands of tickets to either refund You'd or be surprised. Like it's been really, really busy. So actually, uh, just the motivation of doing the work has been good. The, uh, and, and actually, uh, as the team has got smaller, as we've followed more and more people and we've got a smaller team, it's actually about working together as a team and looking out for each other. And we've kind of become a small band of people who are kind of fighting to support each other. Um, and then, as I said, it's about having those, having the forums open. One of the things that 
we did really, really early on, although it's kind of fallen to the wayside now. But in, in those early days, uh, we use Microsoft Teams uh, a lot, and, and we do that. Um, we just we just did things like set up um, a, a fun and social channel. So you know, obviously there are lots of team teams going on where there are lots of business chats, but we just wanted to kind of have a place where people could hang out and share a joke or share a quiz or just chat with each other. So doing things like that were important early on. I'd say those have kind of fallen by the wayside a lot. Uh, kind of people got bored of that, I think. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know how much credit I can take really because I, I'm I'm really lucky. My team are really good and they are motivated. And and I suppose it, uh, I suppose the driving force is you know a collective desire to do the right thing by our by our clients and our customers. And so it's a professional pride that's kept us motivated. Uh, there is a, a, a loyalty to the company and, and to what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve as the company. So we want to hold on to that. So kind of still presenting that vision of the future of what we, what we want to achieve and what the other side may look like. Um, I, I don't really know if there is any magic ingredients. I, I think well, I do know there are magic ingredients. The magic ingredients are always your staff, always your people. Yeah, I was going to say, there's always, I knew you'd come up with an answer for the magic ingredient. I know you. <laughs> um, no, I think it's actually the magic really is probably in the consistency because, and I don't know, and I'm sure that, actually I know you, so I'm sure this is absolutely certain. It's the, um, I think that even though I'm obviously extremely American, I still do a better job than most Americans of making sure that I'm checking on the person. And I'm sp- I'm spending time like check like making sure about the personal interaction. And I think those things add up, right? It's like you ha- we talked about the mental health aspect at the very start, and it's really just being there for people, and it's just making letting people understand that like, hey, I may be, you know, have a different role or a different title or a different position or you know a different perspective on this, but I can recognize how difficult this is for everybody and I want to be here for you to support you because that's I think really like this has highlighted so much or it should have the power of the, our communities and the people that we you know that we know and that we sh- you know we we're fortunate enough to share relationships with and you know to me the when I ask people about this part about keeping people focused a lot of times it comes back to the relationship and understanding and recognizing how important and valuable the relationship is and investing time and energy and making sure that relationship um, is strong or and even in a lot of cases strengthened despite the social, the physical distance or the inability to like have those kind of casual um, bumping into each other conversations. But maybe I'm being a little too hippy dippy here. No, I, I, don't, I don't think you are. I, th- I think you're entirely right. The, the other, the other thing that has been really important to us is is to be honest. Is to be honest with the staff. Is to is to let them know what's going on. And you know, there isn't much that they don't know that that I know that they don't. You know, where where we're being able to tell them about what's happening with the business, what's happening with a, with our clients, etc., etc., is is being open and honest. And sometimes being an open and honest is being brave enough to stand up and say, I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have held, uh, I think, three or four kind of all-company kind of team meetings and stuff like that. And, you know, it's uh, most of the meetings have just been Q&A. You ask us a question, we'll try and answer it. Right. And uh, I certainly know from the feedback that I've had from my staff is they've just been honest about that. They know that there are 
there are questions that we can't answer and, and, and we haven't tried to BS them about that. You know, we haven't tried to, to hide things. You know, we've been honest. We've been, we've told them when things are gloomy and grim, uh, gl- um, grim, uh, and we've told them when there are things to be positive about. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in this situation, everyone recognizes that there's a great uncertainty, uh, and, uh, and they appreciate when you're being honest, you know, that you're not adding to that uncertainty. Yeah, I think the being honest thing can't be stressed nearly enough because I think that most of the time when organizations and leaders, people, get themselves into trouble is when they really do try to BS people or um, make things up on the fly or whatever they're doing because the, the, an okay answer is to not know the answer. And we've kind of created this environment and, you know, I know it's it's – super common in the states i don't know if it's as common i hope it's not as common in the rest of the world where if you don't know the answer you refuse to say that you don't know the answer and then you just kind of try to uh fake it through until you 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 know fake your way through an answer and everybody knows that you're lying no one calls you on it and then all it does is it causes just way more trouble and disruption than really is necessary and it's just it's you know it's it's stupid i you know i i I've been way, way, uh, trying to be way more upfront about it. Sometimes I don't know the answer or I don't have the right answer or, but I can, we can figure it out together. And I think that's just like a way better way of approaching life and, you know, people and leadership. But, you know, I know that I'm still, at least in the States, in the minority on that one. For, for me, it's a, it's a question of trust and faith, you know, and, more so than ever, you're trusting your staff. You're trusting them to work from home and to do a good job, and there's no one supervising. And and if people feel as if they're trusted, then they kind of behave in a responsible way. I I kind of find, and uh, you know, uh, and being honest with people is about trusting them to be an adult about the answers you're going to give. Uh, and you know, I'm a big believer if you treat people people like adults, they'll behave like adults. And and, and you know, thankfully, my staff have, and you know, they've appreciated us being honesty, honest about it, and you know, and they've 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 repaid that in their in their trust. Uh, so you know, trust, honesty, having faith in people, it, it, you know, those are all just basic human, you know, decent tenant being a being a decent human being, having yeah. those those qualities, and you know, that applies into your your own personal life as well as it does to your work life and I, I don't really I, you know I see what you talk about when people who kind of stand up and, and and try and lie and bluster their way through it and so do you, would you do that at home I don't know perhaps people do but you know people trust you and have faith in you if they believe in you uh, and yeah. they believe in you if you're being honest with them and and you know that's the whole thing we're all in this together we're all working on this together we're all trying to get through it together and in order to have that that team spirit in order to do that there has to be that trust and that faith within the team and you know and hierarchies you know i've never been a big one for believing in hierarchies you know i'm you know i'm here my job is to kind of is to lead is to set the strategy but that doesn't make me a better person than anyone else that doesn't make me clever or more special that's just the role i'm doing and you know just because that guy over there is the guy who works in the mailroom doesn't mean to say he can't come up with valid ideas. Yeah, the way, the way I think about it too is, I, I won't. You gave me a, you told me something once, and I, I uh, you know, about like, hey, 
I'm lucky enough to be in the position because there's so many other people who could have been just as successful as I was. And I think that, you know, I, the other quote was much more gen fueled, but that's, but the, but the, <laughs> the, the gist of it's the same. Yeah, exactly. The gist of it's the same. And, and I think what it does, and this goes back to your answer, what it highlights though is something that I don't think we always pay nearly enough attention to, but we pay a tremendous amount of lip service to. And that is the importance of the team we have around us, because in you know I'm getting better all the time too about sharing this because you know I had some really really great successes, especially early on in my career that were huge huge things that allowed me to be what I do what I do now and be who I am now, and I really can't thank the people that helped me do that make make those things happen more than anything, and I think a lot of times. Being a leader, you, you have to recognize how important the people are that help you achieve your successes, and you know, and, and that's like a, a huge part of what we're dealing with now. Because you know, when you say if you treat people like adults, they're going to act like adults. Adults, I was like, you know, I got an extra room here at the house, um, and if you'd like to come over and be president for a couple weeks, um, we could use you. Um, <laughs> because, but I, but I think it's so it's so true because you have to give people the room now because like we were talking about before we even started recording there's so much going on with people number one trying to get a full work day in juggle the demands of their family lives or their you know you know and and deal with the the mental health issues deal with the physical health issues right you got to give people a little bit of freedom and also a little bit of respect that they're going to do the best they can yeah, and, and just picking up one of one of the things you said there, I think uh, for me a, a good leader is someone you know who does it without ego. And of course, everyone has an ego. I have an ego. You have an ego. But it's about you know to be a leader, you kind of have to sometimes sacrifice that ego and uh, and lead with a bit of humility and take joy in other people's success. You know, I, I always say that my role is just to create the environment in which people thrive, and and um, and that's what I try to do. Uh, and you know i will bask in the reflected glory of their work really and you know get recognized for it that way i don't have to go out and say look what i've done look what i've done uh, i get my glory from saying look what my team have achieved and hopefully i play a small part in that by creating an environment in which they can achieve and they can be their best Right. I think that the way you know and that, that approach that you've developed is something that over the years i've gotten a lot better at doing and now I don't you know um, almost everything I do is dependent on other people doing what I'm helping them to do so I uh, if I didn't get very good at it I wouldn't be very successful now exactly uh, <laughs> exactly but it's just I you know put your ego aside because the thing is is what I tell people is like they're, they're worried about the glory and I go if you're able to get people to achieve the things to the best of their ability to achieve more together than they would ever apart there is always safety for the, for you in that there's always a position for people who can create environments where people can be successful where they can grow where they can maximize their impact and you know so in general you, you know you, you should be like seeking those opportunities out because number one you know you do receive way more um reward than you probably even imagine by doing such a thing but then number two 
and this will be like what I want to curious about from you is how rewarding is it to see other people thrive? Um, I think about this woman all the time who um, we worked on a political campaign together in 2012 and the person she was reporting directly to wasn't giving her the opportunities. I said, well, you can come help me on these things. And, you know, I gave her the freedom. I was like, if you screw up, it'll be my fault. It will fix it. It'll be totally fine. It won't matter. And, and it gave her all the confidence in the world. And she's gone on to do really like awesome things. And I'm so proud of her. And I'm even more proud though, because like, you know, she had this opportunity to grow and stretch herself that really set her on this path to do like some really, really cool things. And she still uses me as a job reference to this day. So it's really funny. <laughs> even though I haven't I, talked I, to her in a regular I think this is why you and I get on so well, Dave. You know, ever since we first met, we've kind of shared the same philosophy. You know, I'm exactly the same as you. My job satisfaction, my career satisfaction is seeing other people do well uh, and, you know, and hopefully sometimes playing a small part of it. I, I always think that the thing that I'm most proudest of in my career is someone called Pauline Fallowell, who if you haven't had on the podcast, you should have on the podcast. Uh, she's the now the head of ticketing uh, and audience insights for the Bridge uh, Theatre Company, and uh, you know I took a chance on her when she was just out of university, and she has just gone on to do fantastic things in this business. And she is the most wonderful person I know, and uh, really smart and really clever. Uh, and uh, you know I just watch her career, and I'm full of pride. And uh, that's one of the things that I think is my best achievements in in my career is. You know, picking picking someone who had no experience, no, I don't know. There was just something about her that I just picked her out and started off and trained her up, and now she does great, wonderful things. So I'm not the most wonderful person, you know. That that that's going to be the lesson from the whole podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know, you let yourself down by supporting Spurs. So, that's, that's so let me, so let me let me let me ask you this before we have to go because we actually have been on here for like a long time now uh, between my technical difficulties and like uh, talking before, uh, which is, I know you, the, all our technical issues before we started. You wouldn't think that we both kind of work in technology in a technology business, would you? <laughs> yeah, don't tell anybody. The, the secrets out of the bag, um, but how do we, you know, how do we bridge the gap from where we are now um, to the future, right? And and you know, I'm curious because like you, you know, you deal a lot in revenue, right? Which is sort of my my, my playground as well. And what I people have been asking me is how do we, I guess, keep our audience, work with our audience now, maybe even grow our audience a little bit, and create some sort of pathway from where we are now to when we can have people back that keeps people engaged, keeps them excited about the events, um, you know, keeps them sort of not, you know, away from some of those bad outcomes that we were talking about earlier in the podcast. Wow, now you bring this up. Have we got another half hour? You know, this is one of my favorite well, I, subjects. I, I, now that I figured, now that I figured out the technology thing, we got all day because um, I was I've recovered the podcast that I deleted by accident, so we're we're totally fine now. We we all day. I mean, you know, revenue coming out of this is is going to be really really interesting. Um, I think 
gosh, there was, I don't know where to start with this. There were so many things that are swirling around my head. Uh, let's start off with online streaming and free online streaming. I don't think that's helped anybody. I think people have got used to seeing stuff uh, streamed for free. So I don't think that is going to encourage anybody to spend money on buying tickets. You know, the whole Netflix thing, you know, the reason why Netflix is so popular is, you know, over cinema is because, you know, your monthly subscription is less than one cinema ticket a month and you've, you can just sit on your sofa and enjoy it and not go out and have to pay, you know, mega bucks for your popcorn and your soft drink. Um, so there, there's that whole element. Uh, over here in the country, uh, over here in the UK, we, our government, uh, introduced a tax cut for a limited period for, uh, tickets, entertainment tickets, uh, amongst other things. And, you know, there were a few conversations with clients about whether they should pass that tax cut onto customers. And my answer was emphatically no. That tax cut was there to support you, not the customers. And really, taking £10 off a ticket is not, at this time, going to persuade anyone to come who isn't going to come in any case. People right. aren't booking. And just having a £10 off a you know, a, a, a £50 ticket or a, well, I can't wait whatever the maths were, uh, is not going to be the difference. So bank that money for yourself or look after yourself here. But remember that when we do come back, people are going to be price sensitive. You alluded to it earlier. You know, people are out of work. People have lost jobs. People have lost income. Uh, over here, our furlough scheme ends in October. So come November, all those people, you know, I can see across the whole of the country and in lots of industries, people are going to be out of work. So price is going to be really, really sensitive. And I think, I think in our business and I think our entertainment business, you know, it's actually going to have to come down to artists. Artists are going to have to look at the deals that they're getting because everyone up else up the supply chain is going to feel the pinch. And uh, I don't know if you saw, there was a leaked thing a few months ago about Live Nation redoing all their deals with artists. Yes, I, don't, I saw I don't that. know if you saw that. I thought it that was really interesting. It shifts a lot of the uh, burden back over to the artist. Uh, and, uh, you know, Live Nation have had a lot of criticism, rightly or wrongly, over the month, uh, past few months. And But I actually really supported them in doing that because... You know, I, I think we've had this conversation before about, you know, why tickets are get so expensive. And that's because artists can only make revenue out of performing live rather than uh, mm-hmm. uh, online streaming recorded music. Well, you've but also really, done a really great job of breaking down what goes into the pricing a lot of times. This is where you're the the most the smartest man on the podcast <laughs> comes from is that, you know, like showing people exactly what goes into this because – even people who work in the industry don't always recognize all the costs and all the crazy things that go into the pricing of a ticket. Yeah, uh, and actually, uh, people should look at that leaked memo from from Live Nation. Uh, you know, it was a bit eye-opening about you know how they pay their artists and what they pay their their artists. And you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, you know, ticket prices are going to have to come down, but that isn't going to reduce the costs of putting these events on. So. Unfortunately, I do think it is going to be the artists who are going to have to take a bit of a haircut. Now, you know, what I'm talking about here are the big mega artists. You know, I'm not talking about the, the people, the person trying to scrape together a living, you know, playing gigs for a hundred quid in a, in a pub or a small venue or something like that. I'm talking about the, those, those artists that do arena tours. You know, those deals are not 
they can't be as generous anymore if we want people to come back to live music because ticket prices are going to have to come down and really the only fat in that chain is at that end of the market that may be an unpopular thing to say uh, but that's the truth I think it's un- it, it's completely the truth um, because I think that what had happened at the end of the cycle right because you know, I was like, oh, these, these trends are already playing out no matter what, was that you had seen the artists were in such a strong position because of the competition between, you know, Live Nation, Axis, a couple other really big promoters that they could demand almost anything they wanted to. And so it was getting to the point where even the like splitting up the fees and some of the different um, income streams wasn't enough to cover some of the some of the costs for these things, right? So it was like really, really like t- super tight, and I think that it was unsustainable even if we hadn't had a pandemic. I know, and you you talked about some of the the articles I've written about pricing and, and stuff like that, and uh, most of that's been based on on theater and West End theater, and there's going to be a really interesting change in the in the West End theater market, I believe. Uh, you know, it was getting to a situation where, you know, there was so much product wanting to come into theater that the, the, the theater owners really had the whip hand and they would be saying to producers, okay, you can have our building, but you can only have it for a, a you know, a 12 week run, uh, and you need to pay this much, this much rent. And that was putting real pressure on theater producers to jack up prices, to get ever bigger names into their shows who were demanding, uh, you know, fee, big fees to go into the shows, which, you know, caused prices to go up and, you know, because they only had that small window in which to recoup their money and make their money and get out of there. Now, on the other side of the pandemic, I think the producers are going to find themselves in a much stronger position because the venues are going to, there isn't going to be the product out there. There isn't going to be the product lining to go up, lining up to go into those, into those theaters. And I think the venues are going to have to cut deals and give more generous terms to producers, which hopefully, and I really, really, if any producers are listening to this, you really got to pay heed to this. You've got to reflect that in the customer, to the customer price, those ticket prices. If you're not being charged for that rental space, if you're not having to pay for those big artists to come in and do 12 weeks, you've really got to, you know, I think we started off this conversation talking about, it's about getting confidence about people coming back to live events. And, you know, we can, we can make places safe. We can give them trust in how they book tickets by making sure that they know that their money's safe and they'll be able to get their money back. But equally, we need them to have confidence that they're not going to get ripped off, that they will pay a fair, fair price, particularly when they're feeding the pinch. So collectively, all round, everybody's got a part to play in getting this business back up on its feet again. Yeah, and I, I think there's two questions here. It's I think on the flip side of this, whenever this does ultimately run its course, I'll be curious too because you were talking about the producers are going to be in a much stronger position. I think you're going to see a set of investors that are going to come in where it's not going to be as much of a vanity project as it's going to be a business proposition, and that's yeah. going to put the demand on pricing and you know legitimizing the processes around the business under a lot more strain because. A lot of times, if it's a vanity project, you're there just because I want to be a theater producer. I want all the like perks and all the fun and games that come along with producing, being involved in a theater production. Um, but if it's a business proposition, it changes everything about what you're doing. And you know, I think that's going to happen where people are going to come in, but they're going to look at it as like a investment thing. 
the first thing. And then the other thing about pricing and treating people fairly is the idea that um, there were trends, long-term trends that were playing out. I don't, I know in America, extreme erosion of consumer purchasing power has been taking place. Uh, that's only accelerated over the last 10 years. But if I'm not misreading the data, consumers were having less money to spend in, you know, in London and around England and the UK and in other markets as well. It's just more dramatic in the States. That's not going to go away no matter what kind of legislation comes out of uh, recovering from this uh, pandemic immediately anyway. So you have to recognize that, again, the financial risks are real. Uh, the value proposition needs to be really, really solidified and needs to be there. You got to make sure you're talking to the right audience and you got to make sure that you're, you're talking to them in the right way. Because if not, if any one of those chains is broken, then you're going to be back starting over from scratch all over again. At least I think. Uh, and that's a, you know, that's a real, going to be a real challenge for, I think for, you know, people trying to put productions back on the road is actually who is going to be prepared to invest. You know, investing in particularly theatre was always a risky business. Now it's just proved itself to be even riskier. You know, who is going to, who's going to put their hand in their pocket? And, and, and I think that is a big thing that we need to, as an industry, consider. You know, who is actually going to stump up the money to put these things on? Uh, and it's another reason why they're not I think, cheap. There's no doubt about that. I think that's another reason why I think the first people out of this are, are the smaller outfits, are the smaller productions, the smaller theatres, the smaller venues, the smaller you know the smaller production companies who can put on things a bit cheaper and do things a bit more, be a bit more flexible about it. I think um, you know those big mega musicals are going to be really hard to restage. They've all been shut down. They'll be shut down for the best part of a year. And, I mean, essentially opening up again is, will, will be incurring the same cost as putting them on in the first place. You know, if you're an investor, are, are you prepared to do that? You may not have the money yourself. Wherever, wherever you, your source of your income have may, may have dried up. And, yeah, it's a, it's a big risk, which is why, which is why I think there will be a lack of product out there, which, you know, means that, those people who are able to produce, who are able to do it efficiently, who are able to get the investment, uh, are really going to have the whip hand. And, and let's hope that they use that responsibly and price their stuff fairly, because it would be a disaster if people were able to get things back up and they tried to take advantage of that. Like, I, I can't imagine anyone would, because everyone is alive to the economic realities they, they live in. Uh, and I, I really do think that... Uh, that the prices will come down. I, I, I just think that I can't imagine anyone would be stupid enough to, to outprice them in this market. You obviously haven't seen some of the people who have called me over the last week or two because they are going, we threw these shows on sale for uh, like September and October of next year, um, and they're not moving, Dave. What's the problem? And then I go, well, you know that I have a pretty standard spiel at this point, um, and you know where my point of view is. And they would just be pricing like as aggressively as they were before. So I, I, I'm hopeful that maybe some of these big failures, um, I won't name names because I don't want to um, bust anybody's confidence or anything, but there's some b big failures on the horizon of the sh few shows that have gone on sale now for a year from now. Um, I hope that they'll give people pause and help them reset the, what their thinking is because I don't know. It's going to be really tough if you miss this opportunity when you relaunch to really keep your business alive, I think. 
Yeah, my, my philosophy, you know, when I was working uh, a lot doing pricing for shows was was always make it a hit before you act like you're a hit. So, you know, and, you know, don't start off with your prices sky high when, you know, when there is the demand there. Yeah. Go fill your boots. You know, that that's that's the time to do it. But, you know, you've got to make you've got to make it a hit first. You've got to encourage people in. You've got to get to 80 and 90 percent before you jack the price up for the last 10 percent or all that kind of thing. Start from a low base and build up. Yeah. So I, I don't need to tell you this stuff. Though, no, yeah. no, you know me. I I, I was on the <laughs> people just call me and they go, I just wanted to hear you talk about money. <laughs> and I go, that's a, there's worse things in the world for people to uh, to be known for than to just feel like going, well, I can pull money out anyway. <laughs> uh, actually, speaking of your business, I think the business to have been in was uh, was your, your was your old friends and the credit card companies because you know so I mean actually to be fair I know that they have seen a decline in in revenues across all th- sorts of things as spending's dropped but in terms of ticketing you know they made their money when we sold the ticket and they made their money again when we refunded the ticket and you know that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand is that credit cards they charge you for selling the ticket and they also charge you for refunding the ticket yeah uh, and that's been a real kicker banking that's been a real kicker. Banking is a uh, always the good business to be in. It, uh, it, you know, if you where you, you put your money, your your thumb in the middle of the money, that's the spot to be in. Uh, <laughs> well, one final one, then. Uh, so, how do you? What do you? Would you suggest then for people who are listening, um, who are trying to figure out how to stay in touch with their market right now? You know, what is a useful? way to continue to build a relationship to deepen the relationship and kind of help set yourself up for the future because I know you said that the online streaming hasn't really been good for anybody um, you know there isn't as much demand right now even when things are going on sale um, in the best of times I think that there's been a struggle to you know make that connection between an audience and you know the production and the venues um, you know, but now's a good time because really, like, it's probably the most important thing we can focus on is uh, making sure that we're strengthening the relationship with our customers, uh, even if we don't have anything to sell them. I mean, that was a that was a big dilemma for us during certainly the earlier part of the lockdown. Is you know, how do we keep communicating with our customers? You know, this doesn't feel like the right time to be selling them stuff. People don't want to buy, so why are we sending out communication that's all about sell, sell, sell? So. We just thought about it a bit differently and we just started having a conversation with our audience, with our customers. You know, our email communications were like, hey, this all sucks, but actually here are a few ideas to make it suck less. And, you know, and we were linking to things like online streaming, but all sorts of things that we were linking to. We were just having a conversation. We were, we were telling our customers that, hey, we're feeling it too. What you're feeling, we're feeling too. And this is what we're doing to keep ourselves amused and keep ourselves upbeat. And, uh, our engagement rate from, uh, from our email marketing was much higher than it normally is. Much higher is when we're trying to sell people stuff. Uh, and, how much you know, higher if you, if you can say? I, 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 I can't actually remember off the top of my head. Like, you know, I think I'll kind of, I, I don't know. I, I, if I would say it, I'd get told off by the head of marketing for getting the figures wrong. But it was significant. <laughs> it was significant. Uh, okay. It was significantly higher. And, and, and actually just, uh, anecdotal feedback from, you know, people who I know who receive our emails have, have always said, that, you know, have been saying the content of them is good. And so, uh, I, I, yeah, and gradually as it's gone on and we've had a few things to sell, we've, we've put a few sales messages in, but we've kept the philosophy of, 
we're having a dialogue with you. We're not just here selling you stuff. We're talking to you. We're talking to you about what you're interested in, what we're feeling, what are you feeling, what you might be interested in. And, and that tone of voice is, we've kind of kept that going. Uh, and so it's about having a conversation with your customers. It's not looking at them and thinking there's a stuff, you know, there's a pile of dollar bills who I'm just going to sell to. It's a, goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's about people and treating your customers as people. What do they want to hear from you? Do they want to hear about your stuff got on sale? Well, they might want to hear about a bit about them. So tell them a bit about them, but just tell them about what else is going on, what else they can do, what, what else is going on in their life. Talk to them, have that feedback. You know, we ran a, we ran a talent competition, an online talent competition. If you haven't checked it out, he didn't win the talent competition. We put it open to the public vote, but this was a, a guy who was our favorite. I might send you the link. There was a guy <laughs> who did a song called I Want a Llama. I think his name was Nigel Long. I'm putting a big plug out to him. It was brilliant. And it certainly kept us all going, uh, during lockdown. Uh, this guy's uh, song, I Want a Llama. I'm going to send you the link, Dave. You'll love it. That'll be awesome. Uh, uh, but, uh, but it was, but it was doing that kind of thing. It was like, you know, obviously we are a ticketing company. We're there to sell tickets. But we just went through a period of, do you know what? We're just going to talk to our customers. We're not going to bother about selling you. We're just going to keep the dialogue open. Uh, and someone said to me um, last week that they had just moved to a new city and they'd started a new job. And uh, two weeks into that, they went into lockdown. So they were on their own in their new flat, on their own in this new city. And they just kind of said, getting our emails was just what they needed. It was just the pickup they needed. Uh, yeah. And uh, so... The, the very that's a very long answer to say just engage with your customers uh keep talking to them and don't just treat them as a source of money well i think you actually don't even realize you did it but you kind of encapsulated the entire philosophy that i have which is like sure i know how to make money and market and sell um Dave, well, it's because i've listened to a lot of your stuff before so i'm just I gonna know, reflect. yeah yeah yeah, but, but, but I, everything goes through people, right? And I've always felt like if I can do right by people, then I'm going to be able to you know, profit myself. And it always begins with this thing. What can I do this right for people? And I think that's the big philosophy that needs to carry everybody forward is like, how can I do right by the people that I want to serve, that I want to be in a member of my community so that when things are coming back, they're willing to come back with me. But that's me. What am I? I'm a hippie over here. I'm, I'm, I'm getting soft over here in the pandemic. Nothing wrong with being a hippie, although you need to do a bit of work on the hair. Because <laughs> well, we have matching hairstyles. <laughs> I know, well, yeah, because I, 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 as we started the lockdown, I decided, oh, do you know what, I'm just going to let it all grow. But I ended up looking like the wild man of Borneo, so uh, I went for the Dave, uh, Dave Waitman look. I can't let the thing go more than like 10 days, and I start going nuts. So it's, you know, it's totally fine, and... Um, I like it. I, I, I approve myself. Um, <laughs> where do I point people for so so they can check you out? I mean, besides like when I put when I tweet out that you're the smartest man that's been on the podcast and I share uh, all no, your thank, links. Thank you for being my biggest fan and my cheerleader. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, so usually, yeah, you, the- usually it's your mom or your dad, but in this case, it's me. <laughs> uh, so I'm on Twitter at Richard Howell H O W L E. So that's probably the best place to find me. Awesome. Well, th- thanks for doing this again. It's a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Dave. And look after yourself and the family. What did you think of my conversation with Richard? Let me know. Send me an email. It's Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Check out my website, DaveWakeman.com, where you can find my blog and you can find all kinds of crazy stuff that I'm up to. Check out the Talking Tickets newsletter. That's at TalkingTickets.Substack.com, where you can get my Talking Tickets newsletter, which is five stories delivered each Friday into your mailbox. 
uh, with news, analysis, tips, action items, and all kinds of crazy stuff that you can help you and your organization recover right now from the pandemic, but in better times grow. Um, make sure you visit some of my friends. Uh, check out what Booking Protect is working on. Um, we got some new things in the pipeline that we're going to work on, but there's a really great article that Kat Spencer wrote about rebuilding trust and relationships after the pandemic. And if you have been thinking about ways to make sure that you can give your customers a little bit of comfort coming out of the pandemic, offering them refund protection is probably a great idea. So, you know, reach out to Simon or Kat or Kath or anybody at the Booking Protect team and make sure you have that conversation now because it could be very, very helpful when people are able to start buying tickets again, uh, normally like they had been before. Um, visit the We Will Recover project at wewillrecover.live and check out what Martin Anar and the Activity Stream team have been putting together uh, with organizations from around the globe like me, the TPC UK team, the TPC Australia team, Made Media, TRG, QQ, Intix, and so many more. Um, check it out, wewillrecover.live and you know, give Activity Stream com a check out too there's some really new exciting features coming on the activity stream platform uh martin's been giving me a behind the scenes look i think it's uh, some really cool stuff that's probably worth checking out especially as you need to think through how you're going to re-establish and rebuild and redevelop a sales funnel for your tickets and your sales efforts um finally I didn't say it at the start, but I'll say it now. I know this pandemic is continuing to drag on. I know it's difficult for people. Um, if you haven't had a chance to talk to somebody or you need somebody to talk to, send me a note. It's Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Um, you know, I'm so grateful for all the people who read my stuff and work with me and listen to the podcast and do all the things that I do. Um, you know, so I want to try to give back any way I can. There is a Slack group that is a, a couple hundred taking people from all over the world that you can be a part of if you want to, um, whatever it is, make sure you just, you know, reach out to somebody, reach out to me. Don't go through this thing alone. It stinks. Like uh, Simon told me, it's the Stockdale paradox. This means it's going to suck. It will end. We don't know when, we don't know how, but we have to keep going. And that's what I keep doing. I keep going and I hope you can keep going too. But if you need me, I'm here for you. So send me a note, let me know. For everybody who's here, thank you again for getting this far and listening to this message so far. Um, I really couldn't do it without you. It's such an honor to have a chance to share my ideas and my conversations with you um, once, twice, three times a week, maybe even more. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Until next time, be safe. Take care of yourselves, okay? I'll talk to you soon.